This show is a part of the FM Podcast Network. Visit us at fmpods.com. When I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call them a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. If you find it in your heart, can I be forgiven? Guess I owe you some kind of apology. I've escaped death so many times, I know I'm only living by the saving grace that's over me. This is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time, part of the FM Podcast Network. I'm your host, the freewheeling Rob Kelly, and joining us this week to talk about saving grace from 1980s Saved is fellow Bobcat Jeff Lamp. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Rob. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for being here. I'm looking forward to it. I was looking forward to it myself. Though I, this is unusual in that most of the new people, uh, in my, in the sort of the Podzillan world that I, that I encounter, I encounter them the first time on the show. But that, that's not the case this time is because you and I were both in, in Tulsa at the World Bob Dylan, uh, the World of Bob Dylan conference and everything else. And we got to meet there a little bit very briefly. I think we were both headed to two different panels or something like that or <laughs> I whatever. Think so, yeah. Um, but, but yeah, so it was really cool that, uh, we had planned to do this obviously before that, but I appreciate you came up to me and, and said hello because I always like to be like, Oh, okay. I, you know, met you before we're actually sitting down and recording. So that was terrific. Yeah. I, uh, I, when I saw that your panel, uh, you were going to be on a panel for podcasting, a friend of mine, uh, Daniel McKay, um, was also on your panel. Yes. That's right. And so I, and I've listened to, Laura's podcast, uh, definitely Dylan, quite a sure. bit, and the radio program. So it was kind of cool to, you know, see all those people together at once. And, <laughs> and, uh, I enjoyed, I enjoyed the panel. Uh, one thing I came away from it with is I am never hosting a podcast. It it sounds like a lot of work. So. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was, not, I was like, why? Okay, why? Why have you come to that conclusion? Like, you could argue, well, this, you know, these guys do it. How hard can it be? You know. <laughs> but yes, uh, I'm glad. Um, I'm glad we got that across on the panel a little bit because, yeah, it actually it can be a lot of work. Well, again, I'm I'm glad uh, that you're here. I'm glad you're here at least to guest on this episode to talk about. Uh, this song, which I mentioned is, is from 1980s Saved. That's an album we haven't kind of gotten to in a little, in a little while. We talked, I think the last one we did is What Can I Do For You, which wasn't that long ago, but I like this record. It's certainly not one of his mo- more heralded ones. So I'm always happy to, to give it some attention here on the show. But of course, we have to start at the beginning, which is how'd you become a fan of Bob in the first place? Oh, wow. I was, um, I was born in 61, the year Bob got to New York and, um, when you were an elementary school kid in the early six or the sixties, um, inevitably in your elementary school music classes, you did a chorus, uh, of blown in the wind. So that was, that was my first kind of exposure, though it didn't really land where I really noticed him the first time was my parents were, uh, country music fans and my mom worshiped Johnny Cash. So I saw him on the Johnny Cash show. And I thought, okay, well, okay, he's the guy that did the song we sang in chorus. Mm-hmm. And, um, but by the, I guess by the time I was about 12 or 13, someone had given me for a birthday present, uh, the greatest hits volume two and, uh, with the cool poster in it. And, you know, I, so I started listening and, um, yeah, I thought, okay, this is, this stuff's pretty good, which was odd <laughs> because I was a, all through school, except for the Bob Dylan thing, I was known as the person who was the quintessential bubblegum pop AM radio top 40 listener. Um, so I knew the words to like every Partridge family song. And <laughs> But then there was this Bob Dylan thing. And I really got turned on in high school, freshman year, by a friend of mine who was a, a Bob Dylan fan. So the first record I bought that was... Um, issued at the time that I was a fan was uh, Blood on the Tracks. So that was kind of my, after the greatest hits record, that was sort of my um, main intro into the, 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 the body of work. And I don't think I bought, looking back on it, I don't think I bought Desire right when it came out, but I did get Street Legal right when it came out. There you go. And, and I was, you know, going for Blood on the Tracks, skipping Desire, and then getting into kind of Street legal was a bit of a shock, 
but you know, now I probably hear the record about three times a week because my wife just fell in love with Street Legal, and so I'll come in the house and it'll be playing. And <laughs> I thought, okay, this is a this is a good record, but you know, three times a week is probably a bit much. And, uh, <laughs> but it um, depends on your point of view, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess so. But um, you know, I remember the news when Dylan had his Christian conversion. I was not raised in a church family. Uh, we didn't we didn't go to church. But I live in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which is the home. I, I guess it's really the buckle of the Bible Belt. Um, so people talking about being saved or born again was just kind of yeah, you hear it all the time, right? Um, so it never really landed with me. I didn't get. Um, Slow Train coming right when it came out. I had, um, in college, I had my own kind of religious conversion. And the one thing I realized very quickly was what passed for Christian rock or Christian music that you were supposed to listen to and askew completely the rock and roll devil music. It just sucked. And um, <laughs> it was just awful. So when Someone said, yeah, but Dylan's been recording some stuff. So then I went back and got uh, Slow Train, went get back and got Saved, uh, that, that album. And I realized that while this might not be, at least at the time, considered Dylan's best music, it was infinitely better than anything else out there on Christian radio. So I was extremely grateful for it. And, um, um, and then got Shot of Love. I mean, my, my version of Shot of Love doesn't even have... Uh, the groom's still waiting at the altar on it. Oh, the original release of it, yeah. Yeah, so so it was... Uh, and from then, I've pretty much bought all the records as they've come out. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, the, Dylan, the Dylan thing is, it's been kind of an obsession since then. And I have to say thank you for your podcast. I, I, I came onto your podcast late, um, sometime during the pandemic, um, when I would, you know, be on walks. I'd, I'd, I'd listen to podcasts. And I was listening to another Dylan podcast, then yours came on. And by that time, you were 160 or 70 shows in. <laughs> so I started a pincher movement where I, I listened to your current broadcast, the podcast every every week. But then I went back and started with episode one. And Oh, oh then, no. <laughs> oh, no. Okay, you know, <laughs> I mean, thank God for the – well, that's not a good thing to say. Um, the pandemic had a good – sort of secondary outcome that I, I got to listen to a lot of podcasts. So um, <laughs> it was all worth it. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's not a, that wasn't a good way to introduce that. Was it? So, uh, um, but it was, uh, you know, I, Dylan has been pretty much a, a staple. Um, my first wife wasn't a very big Dylan fan. And I don't know that that had anything to do with it, the disillusion, but um my second wife, my current wife, we've been married almost 25 years now, and we've seen Dylan a lot together. And the kind of trade-off is that whenever Willie Nelson comes, we go see him. We 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 see those two quite a bit. I've seen Dylan 20 times. Um, mm, okay. And uh, he's usually... So you he's introduced her to, to Dylan? You introduced your, mean, your wife to Dylan? Yeah, she knew who he was, of course, but had never really listened to much of his music. Gotcha. And, but she was a Willie Nelson fan, so it wasn't a real hard move. Um, sure, right? Yeah, that's a yeah. yeah. There's there's and some overlapping circles, and there. they've done work together. So, one of the shows we saw was, um, I guess it was in 2005, Willie Nelson's family picnic down in Fort Worth, Texas. That year, Dylan was on the the, the show list, and so we we're out there, you know, 10 o'clock at night, watching Dylan perform in the sweltering Texas heat and. Uh, <laughs> And then Willie comes on after that, and it was really great. But so, yeah, we've um, Bob Dylan has been kind of a very big part of our, our married life together. We we do a lot of things. It gives her a lot of ideas on what to get me for gifts. So, <laughs> <laughs> there's always a new book, right? So, <laughs> well, it was really nice of Bob to put the center right where you live in your own backyard. That was very nice of him to do that. Well, people have asked if I ever wanted to leave Tulsa. I was I've lived here for most of my life. Um, and um, it, there are probably more exciting places in the world, but once they put the when they put the Woody Guthrie Center here about ten years ago, and then put the Dillon Center here, I got those are those are two of my three churches. So <laughs> why would I leave? Yeah. You're not leaving now. <laughs> and, yeah, there's. I mean, it's as a I'm a by by vocation or profession, I'm a 
college professor here in Tulsa. I, I teach of all things, I teach theology, but I also teach environmental science. And so the the research centers there. Um, I've all, I've found ways to parlay that into research projects, and I've I've been to the Dillon Archive to see you know do research on the original you know the the handwritten lyrics and stuff like that. It's 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 pretty humbling when you're looking at. I still whenever I go to the Woody Guthrie Center, I still get goosebumps when I see they put out the original handwritten lyrics of "This Land Is Your Land" every so often. And um, but then you get to see that if you go work in the Dillon archive, you get to see the, you know, the scribbles and the, you know, the alterations. And it's 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 really humbling and really kind of um, awesome to see that. And it truly is. Uh, you said your wife gets you Dillon stuff. Well, she must be thrilled with that gift shop then, right? Oh, that, my gosh, this is a whole, yeah. whole bunch of stuff to get. Yeah, you know, we're really grateful for the 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 member discount. That's <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. It really yeah. starts adding up. Yeah. Oh yeah, when I was there, I had to kind of like, all right, I got to get something for my wife and something for myself and something for my friend, and then you know, like, okay, all right, I, I I'm at like ninety bucks. I I think I got to stop here. You know, yeah, <laughs> kind of I hear you. Um. So oh well, that's that's oh, well. I was about to ask like why. We want to talk about Saving Grace. This is certainly one of his more obscure songs. You just mentioned you you teach theology. Now, I before we get onto that, I am curious about you teach theology and environmental sciences. That seems yeah. those seem like two. I'm not going to say conflicting, but certainly two disciplines that that don't ever meet up, right? Or am I am I wrong about? That? Um. Well, about. Uh, one thing I, I didn't know going in was the academic study of the Bible, which is really what I focus on. It, it frankly, is quite dull. And um, I, I, about 15 years ago, I kind of made a career move into a field called eco-theology, which is kind of looking at biblical or theological bases for caring for the environment. And I used a midlife crisis to go back to school and get a master's in it because my wife didn't think I should have a Corvette or a motorcycle. And uh, <laughs> that, that, um, smart uh, woman. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, it would have been cheaper than the degree, but it, it, it was, um, uh, so now I, I, I teach, uh, like environmental ethics or sustainability courses. And so I, I teach in the two departments. And and it's kind of fun to change up that audience every so often, but um, but yeah, it's uh, it is a little bit of an odd pairing, but but it, it works and it, it keeps things interesting. It certainly sounds like. I mean, we don't want to go down this road because it's a, it's a whole other you do, yeah. but like I always would think that like if you're a deeply religious person, you would also be very environmentally conscious because I would think you're pro the world that God gave you. you well, know? Uh, you know, you'd think so. Um, I, I teach at a school, um, Oral Roberts University, which is kind of, it's changing its demographics some, but it's it was originally like a Pentecostal um, tradition that it came out of. And Pentecostals are, you know, notorious for that, that sort of rapture theology where God's mm. going to yank us out of the world and then blow it up. Mm-hmm. Um, and since that's the group of people I deal with most, I kind of target them with this message that, yeah, you, you really should care for this and here's why. And, um, you know, so it's, uh, yeah, it's a little bit of a challenge, but it's, it, it's interesting. Yeah. It sounds like it. Um, well, that, that's amazing. That, that just sounds, um, absolutely amazing. It's so interesting. So, all right. Well, listen, let's talk about saving grace from save. Now you mentioned that you bought saved, you know, when it came out. And you, you know, it was obviously followed slow train coming and saved was, you know, from the, from the books about Dylan that I've read, saved was the first real record of his that was sort of just ignored as much as any Bob Dylan release can ever be ignored. But it was really the first one that audiences, again, this is what I'm reading. I, I was I was sure. alive at the time, but I was not listening to Bob Dylan at, at nine years old. That that it was the first record of his that people just went, nah, and just stopped yeah. talking about. It. Not like self-portrait. There was a lot of gnashing of teeth over self-portrait. Sure. But it but you know, it, and people didn't like it, but it was met with a big reaction. This one, not so much. It was just, and it didn't sell well. And it really, again, according to people that track these things, it set the tone for 
his record sales throughout the 80s. Now, you could argue that was also some other things that were happening in the greater culture. But Saved was really the one that a lot of people look at as like, wow, that's the one that his career really took a hit. And (laughs) for the longest time, it didn't fully recover. Can you remember what your feeling was about Saved when you got it fresh, when you're you know pulling off the shrink wrap and you're putting it on the turntable? Yeah. um, Well, again, uh, you know, whenever, especially in Oklahoma, which is, I mean, you know, like Oral Roberts was like centered here in Tulsa. So that that's that casts a very long shadow culturally over the city in a lot of ways. So if you're in the church culture here, you shouldn't be listening to that rock and roll music, at least back at that time, um, around 1980. So you had to listen to this other stuff, which was like a lot of people say, long on sincerity, short on creativity. <laughs> and uh, so when Dylan put this out, I was being inundated with this Christian, uh, you know, just really bad pop music. And um, in fact, uh, one of the things that was really popular at this time, especially in the South, was certain groups would have record burnings where you would bring out your old rock and roll albums and have a big bonfire in a big, you know, like oil drum or something like that, and just throw your records on them. I mean, people would say things like, ooh, demons fly out of them when you do that. So I had to go see. And... <laughs> I never, I never saw a demon, <laughs> but I see this you know, myself. <laughs> but the, yeah, but this is part of the the, the culture. So when Dylan comes onto the scene, um, a lot of Christian, you know, culture at the time kind of celebrated. We got a big one, right? So um, the fact that he was doing music like this that was head and shoulders above the mainstream Christian pop uh, really was a a breath of fresh air for me. And, you know, so I, like I said, I'd, I'd listened to Dylan, um, you know, started buying the albums as they came out new, went back and filled in my collection from the, you know, the pre blood on the tracks uh, period. So you kind of get this sense that um, what Dylan's doing in this doesn't sound anything like the Christian pop stuff. It sounds more like um, black gospel or, um, you know, a lot of the roots type of music that also fed into his other music. And he was kind of just bringing that into the Christian sphere at that point, which was kind of refreshing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I didn't really know much about, of course, like you mentioned a lot, that was pre-internet day. So we really didn't have an idea unless you picked up Rolling Stone or something like that. It was kind of hard to um, figure out what was going on in the music world sometimes. <laughs> and so I didn't, I didn't know that, it was not terribly well received. I loved it personally. Um, in fact, at the time of the two, I actually preferred Saved to Slow Train Coming because Slow Train Coming to me, at least at the time, sounded a bit produced. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, it had a, 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 you know, a, a smoother. It's uh, very slick. Very yeah, slick. Record. It's, yeah. It's, it's a, it's a good record, but with Saved, it almost kind of sounded like, Let's have a camp meeting in the studio. Um, <laughs> so it felt a little more, to me, it felt a little more uh, visceral than the than slow train. And and I really enjoyed that because the churches I was going to, that's what, you know, instead of singing hymns, they did this, you know, electric kind of worship music. So it, it, it kind of made me feel a little bit like, oh, this is sort of like church um, in a good way. And And I really, you know, I, I really liked the sound of Saved. Uh, it just didn't sound so slick. It didn't, but it sounded a lot more visceral to me um, in, in his vocal performance, especially at times. Oh, I agree. I mean, again, this Saved is also unusual, and that is the only record that he's ever done that was done with the touring band after the tour, not before. Yeah. Usually, you do it. You know, you you cut the album and then you go out on tour in support of it. But of course, he had been going on. The, the sort of the, the religious own the born again, if you want to mm-hmm. call it that tour. And when he hit the road, he needed more songs than just the 10 or the nine, whatever it is sure. off of slow train coming. So he's all these other songs. So he's playing, you know, a lot of the songs from saved in front of audiences that don't know them. And right. then, then he goes into the studio with the band. And apparently according to the band, that was not the smartest move because everybody was exhausted. Right, and they, yeah. they just didn't want to keep working. And yet he's like, now we got to make a record, which is <laughs> extra yeah. hard to do. <laughs> um, and, and people have argued that a lot of the performances, the live performances of these songs 
lack intensity on the record than they do on the live versions because obviously right. he's doing them live and he's presenting them for the first time and they've got that 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 fire to them and now thanks to bootleg series we can hear a lot of those for many years mm-hmm. they were kind of unavailable so you had to just kind of believe people and if if you if you were so inclined and i i agree with that to a certain extent i've heard other versions now and i go oh yeah i, I kind of see what people are talking about but i will say except for this one um i actually prefer the the album take of this song to the live versions that i've heard now i've not heard every one there's we'll talk about it he's done he did this song live a bunch of times but i really love the vocal performance on the album and so for this one i'd say no i actually think that the album one is is superior so why did you want to talk about this song in particular well like i said i came kind of late to the pod dylan world um so i looked over the list of songs <laughs> and and i thought I, I wanted to pick something from the you know the religious period um, just so I can, you know, tell people at school that I did it, <laughs> something <laughs> religious. Um, but I, I do like this music and I've come to appreciate it more. And I did see him do this live. Um, in 2004, D- Dylan did a concert at the Canes Ballroom. And, uh, um, right, right. And, and it was just, um, it, it was just amazing. You know, this historic building. Bob Wills and all that uh, background. Oh, the to the it. posters of all the acts that have been there were startling when we were. Yeah, it's, it's, my, it's, Dan it's, and I, my friend Dan and I were looking at it. It was amazing. It was just everybody. Yeah, we we just um, so we got um, uh, we got there early for the show, and I and I was actually about fifteen feet from him. Wow! And, um, and that was that was really cool. Um, but this he did this song, and. Um, and I was kind of surprised that of, of the songs from that period that he did this one, because mm-hmm. it isn't really one of the marquee songs in his Certainly catalog. Certainly not, yeah. And, um, but his, his performance of it was extremely visceral that night. And it, it kind of gave me goosebumps because he, he did it right, I think it was right after Every Grain of Sand. And, wow. Um, what a one-two, what a one-two punch that Oh, is. I know. It, it just kind of hits you. And it, and it went over well, of course, in Tulsa because, you know, it's a pretty, you know, religious culture, at least in, in town. Um, that show, he also did, um, he also did the song, uh, Make You Feel My Love. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the only words he spoke in that whole concert that night came after he did Make You Feel My Love. And he said, that one's for you, Garth, if you're here. Cause at that time, Garth Brooks was living in the Tulsa area. <laughs> That's the only thing he said all night. Didn't introduce the band. <laughs> That's all he said all night. <laughs> so that was, but I, I, I think I wanted to do it because of that performance uh, that night. And, um, and it really, you know, it, it, it sounded a little bit different because it was this, you know, this, this touring band that was in 2004. So it didn't sound exactly like the album uh, version. So uh, it was, uh, but it was a, a great performance, I thought. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, I looked this up. I mean, we just talked about that him, that he did this live before. He he did he's done this song Saving Grace 103 times, which obviously in the history of Bob performing is not a lot, but in no. terms of a saved song, it's like the most performed saved song and it is the except for Solid Rock, which he did mm. a couple of times in 2002. This song, Saving Grace, is the only song from Saved that he has performed live in the 21st century. This oh, is wow. it. It's the only one. And you know, again, not that, as we were talking about, not that this was a hit or really any of the songs off of Saved were particularly hits in any real way. But it that says something about this song that uh he's played this up until 2012 as the last event it's been 11 years since he's played it. But th- this is special and that it's the only one that's sort of made its way into uh, the recent past of Dylan's uh, performing art. And so that there must be really something that he uh, feels, you know, is, enjoys something he really enjoys playing mm-hmm. about it. And so the, um the second, first of all, I love the way it opens with that organ sound because it sounds so authentic. I mean, you really do feel like church is commencing with that right. organ coming in, <laughs> you know, I'm expecting like James Brown to come walking up to the podium <laughs> and the blues brothers to be in the background. Exactly. It just has that total sound to it. And I love his vocal. I love his delicate vocal. And I said, you know, when you saw him do it live, uh, what, what was it about 
you familiar with the song much at all? I mean, you obviously you had, had saved the record. Was it like, oh, I know the song, or was it just you were enjoying it in the moment, hearing it done live? Well, I I knew the song pretty. I mean, it's probably not my favorite on the record. Um, probably pressing on is, and um, my favorite. And uh, but saving grace is is to me, it feels like it's the I believe in you uh, type of song for this album. And, um, and it, it and it, when he sang it live, it, you know, he, he seemed invested in it. Um, not just kind of, you know, Hey, here's a song I'll sing now. He kind of gave it that it, it had that kind of sense to it. Like on the, uh, on the album, it, it felt, he felt really invested in the delivery. Um, so it was really pretty good. And uh, in that respect, um, it was just a good, uh, a good experience hearing that song live. Um, but, and I think that's, that's kind of stuck with me. I'm um, having seen it performed live. And, um, so whenever I hear it come on the record when I play it, uh, you know, I have to roll up my windows and do the concert in my, in my truck when I'm listening to it. <laughs> and, um, but it's, uh, I, I just, I do exactly that organ kind of coming into it and then how the music builds mm-hmm. through the rest of the song. Um, I was kind of interested because, you know, I was listening closely, but I don't think the Queens of Rhythm sing on it on the album. No, I don't. No, I don't believe you hear that. No, I don't believe you Which hear is, them on the. Yeah, because you hear them. They're they're pretty prominent on the record um, yeah. in other places, and but this one, this one isn't. This almost sounds like it's it's his song. It's his it's his thing that he wants to do, and um, and it's and it's an interesting thing to me. You know, one of the things you've mentioned many times. It's interesting to look at the last song on an album as being some way a, a gateway into the next album. Mm. And the song When He Returns is the last song on Slow Trade, Coving. And it feels like with that song, with its kind of um, real visceral vocal performance, it's setting you up for Save, which is going to be basically, you know, like a camp meeting type of thing. <laughs> and, um, and then this song the way it starts with that organ, I think is really pretty, I, I think it's just a really effective performance all the way around. Absolutely. Um, the, the second verse, uh, when he says, by this time, I'd have thought I would be sleeping in a pine box for all eternity. My faith keeps me alive, but I still be weeping for the saving grace that's over me. I always find those, those opening two lines. I thought I would be sleeping in a pine box for all eternity to be really very startling and very confessional. I mean, most of us, I think, unless we're of a particularly fatalistic bent, I don't think most of us think we're going to die young. You know, most people think, you know, you hope that you're going to last. But Bob's lived a, a you know, a, a pretty uh, adventuresome life. Mm. You know, we know that he, you know, the motorcycle accident. See, another reason why you right. shouldn't have a motorcycle, Jeff. You shouldn't. Uh, <laughs> you know. um, but I mean, he's, you know what I mean? It's like, like he, everyone can imagine. That in another alternate universe, Bob Dylan was another one of those rock and roll casualties, you know, right. died young. He pushed himself too hard and, and ended up burning out the way Jimi Hendrix did or Jim Morrison or Janis Joplin or any of those people have. But he he didn't. He made it through. And so to hear him talk about that, I, you know, when I was young, I would have imagined I'd be dead by now. But here I am. It's really, to me, it's really very startling. It, it just, it, to me, it brings you re- really forward and it makes the song feel, to me, as you say, kind of like a camp thing, like very late night confessional. For some reason, this whole record to me feels like it was made at night. And I know that Bob typically does record at night, but it's not like you can hear it, you know, in the record right, necessarily. Right. But there's something about it that feels like there was only a couple people left in the studio. The lights are mostly out. And Bob's just there, and this one just by himself singing this hymn to God. Uh, and so, yeah, that, those opening those those lines in in verse two always really get to me. Yeah, and you know, he he did say in the first verse, um, "I've escaped death so many times." Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, they when you look at a, a lot of the early songs, especially that first record where he, he covered all those old songs, how many of them dealt with death? And he's what you know, forty one, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and right. And and he seems to have, um, I mean, death is certainly the kind of thing that's been throughout his catalog quite quite a bit, and I, and that's another reason I think I kind of like this song um, because 
the line you just quoted, my faith keeps me alive, but I still be weeping. There was a certain kind of Christianity that was related to what Dylan experienced in those days that has a very triumphalistic view of life, that if you're one of God's people, you'll have a glorious life of health and wealth and, you know, comfort. Um, but he's, you know, so so what what Bob does here is he kind of keeps that balance. Yeah, my faith keeps me alive, but I'm still weeping um, for that saving grace that's over me. That that you know you, you you're you're always constantly struggling um, through life because life is real, and if faith does anything at all, it has to deal with real life and not be some sort of like uh, Pollyanna uh, type of an escape. And and I think that's what I've I you know I'm not a big fan of the fire and brimstone, damn everybody to hell kind of of music or or preaching for that matter, um, but you know it. The thing I did like about his Christian expression during this time is it did seem to kind of uh, reflect a balance between, yeah, there's glory here, but yeah, there's suffering here because we're still part of life. And it, and of course, it makes you reflect back. What, what about all these times that he should have been in a pine box? <laughs> you know, so it's and I've appreciated the, that about him in a lot of his lyrics is he doesn't sugarcoat the faith overly. So it's also, you know, it's a song about you know, gratitude and gratitude is an emotion. I think that's hard to put across in a song because there's not an inherent lot of tension in gratitude. And then, you know, in the song, you like to have tension. You like to have some sort of, whether it's a song, I, I mean, there's love songs certainly. And then there's, there's, breakup songs, even more of those, but just being able to convey that you are thankful for something that can be tricky. Mm -hmm. Uh, cause it, it can be very kind of like, well, oh, okay, great. You're thankful. Like, you know, just kind of mediocre or kind of lukewarm water sort of thing. But again, the, mm -hmm. the, the vocal, the, the passion he brings to the vocal. I mean, he says the death of life, then comes the resurrection. Wherever I am is where I'll be. I like that. This, this kind of, you know, this sort of centered kind of thing. I put all my confidence in him. My soul protection is the saving grace that's over me. And then the devil's shining light. It can be most blinding. I mean, I know that that is a paraphrase from the Bible, but I like that. You know, so it's not like he came up with that, but I do like that inverted idea that the shining light, which most of us think of as a holy thing or a good thing is the, from the devil. Mm -hmm. Which is not what you would expect. I mean, most people, when they talk about people, you know, when we, in the popular culture, when we present someone dying, they see a light and they go to heaven. But here, the devil is the shining light and it can be blinding. Uh, again, I just think that's a great sort of in, in, inversion of what we normally think of. But the search for love, that ain't no more than vanity. As I look around this world that I'm finding is the saving grace that's over me. And this is something that he would hit on a lot of these songs of this idea of you would sort of look around and not see a lot that he could put faith in, but he had this saving grace and he returns to it at the end, the same, the ending line of every verse. And so, yeah, it, it sort of, and as you talk, the music kind of builds, like it builds to kind of a more intense pitch from the beginning. So uh, as the sort of penultimate song on the record, it really kind of a nice way to build and build and build and build. And then the final song, it's sort of a different gear, but again, we talk about he's done he's done that a lot. But this is like a great way to sort of like wrap up the record. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I've you know, the you know, he talks about the death of life, so there's that recurring theme again. Um the resurrection, which is one of his more actual muted expressions of that sort of end times Armageddon, you know, <laughs> when mm -hmm. he returns, he's gonna hit everybody with an iron, you know, hand and an iron rod and you know, and uh, it's a it's a much more you know muted version of that. Um, I think I think one of the things I noted with that second line there, wherever I am welcome is where I'll be. It kind of makes me look back to the uh, second line of the first verse, or when, when he opens it. You know, if you find it in your heart, can I be forgiven? Which is a very you know uh, deep expression there. But then he says, "Guess I owe you some kind of an apology." It almost sounds. A little bit humorous, mm -hmm. um, and the same thing in that that one, third verse. Yeah, wherever I'm welcome is where I'll be. Um, 
you know, it, it almost has a little bit of a sort of a wry wit to it that um, is, hey, I'm going to put all my confidence in him. Um, can't trust my own ability to do this, so I'm going to put my trust in him. Uh, but I, I kind of like those little lines in there that, you know, might not be great deep theology, you know, but but they do kind of express something, even if it's kind of, I, I think, a little bit humorous. Um yeah, I guess I owe you an apology. Or, yeah, wherever I'm welcomes, where I'll be, you know. Um, I think, so whenever I hear those lines, I kind of think, yeah, I mean, there's a part of that that sometimes you just, you know, we, we resort to humor, um, you know, when when we're talking about really profound, deep things, I think. And and I've always looked at those lines as as a little bit of humor in a song that otherwise is really focused on like you called it, a confession. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's yeah, that shining light thing. You know, whenever I hear the devil's shining light, it kind of reminds me of that constant refrain in um, uh, Precious Angel: "Shine your light, shine your light on me, shine your mm-hmm. light, shine your light on me." And that verse has kind of made me think of those, especially Precious Angel. You know, when you've got the all of his friends have fallen under a spell, or the enemy is subtle. Um, but that search for love, it ain't more than vanity. One of the things I really have appreciated about two songs, Precious Angel and Covenant Woman, is, yeah, they, they, they do obviously have a, a, a bit of a romantic sense to it. But on the other hand, it tries to put it in context. You know, yeah, love is a great thing. Romance is a great thing. But the world's a pretty, pretty depressing place by and large and, <laughs> especially in precious angel <laughs> yeah i mean you know you're just kind of like ah you know the the search for love ain't no more than vanity um i think he he does a really good job in one line of kind of summarizing one of the emphases of, of especially precious angel but yeah so i, I kind of think that maybe this verse is pointing him back uh, to those kinds of sentiments yeah there are things we think are important he could have put Anything in there, the search for love, the search for success, the search for security. He could have done anything there. Um, but the search for love, I think, kind of helps tie this song into some other things that he's uh, addressed uh, in these, um, at, to this point, two Christian records that he'd, he'd done. I don't think I ever really thought about the line, uh, I guess I use some, some kind of apology, as being inherently sort of funny i think i understood it on an emotional level but not on a conscious one and now that you've said it i can appreciate it because i mean uh, to, to not to i'm always trying to drag my other podcasts uh into, into the whatever one i'm recording at the moment but uh when i i do the mash cast show about my favorite tv show and there's a there's a line in an episode from season two of that show where the father mulcahy character is is um saying a prayer a good night prayer and hawkeye makes oh. a Haw- <laughs> hawkeye makes a joke and then he apologizes and he goes sorry father and father mckay says uh, that's quite all right humor too is one of his creations right and yeah. i always thought that was a wonderfully profound and very inviting which is one of the reasons why you know i'm i'm not religious but i've always loved father mckay is it was a very accepting and and um expansive view of things but it's like yeah if you believe this, if you believe that all the world, everything in creation is is the result of a, a supreme being, well, humor is one of those things. And like anything, you can use humor in a bad way. You know, you can use humor to to berate people, make them feel worse, or you can do it to make them feel good, you know, to, mm-hmm. to lighten their load a little. And Bob, as we all know, is very funny. Mm-hmm. He's an inherently right, yeah. funny guy, uh, deceptively so. I mean, George Harrison himself said, oh, he's such a joker, you know? Uh, <laughs> and, and so I don't think I've ever thought of it, but I, now I, I'm going like, yeah, that makes a lot. Of, there, there is something with the way he says that. And the other theme about in this song is the idea that like everything that, at least in this version, and there's other songs where it's not so much this, but in this one in particular, the supreme being is, giving Bob the space to do what he needs to do to, to find salvation. And, and, but he's not handing it to him. He's just saying, okay, here are the parameters. You do it yourself. And I think that's a, that's something that Bob, I think probably to this day still sort of believes in, 
You know, that, that famous speech at the Grammy Awards. Right. Yeah. One of my favorite things he's ever done, which is the whole, you know, God will always depend on your own ability to mend your own ways. God's not doing it for you. You are doing it yourself, but God has given you the ability to do it yourself. And I always find that to be, again, for someone who's not religious, I find that to be a very comforting thought. And there's a lot of that here. You right. know, that, yeah. that idea that it's like the template has been not, oh, I was about to say about to be set, not set. The room is there. The board is there. The game board is there, but you have to do it yourself. And to me, that's a very self affirming idea. And I think that's one of the reasons why, like you said, I actually, I have to say, I actually prefer saved as a record to slow train coming. Uh, I like you, I, I think slow train coming is a great record. Mm-hmm. And I would say song by song, it's a stronger record than saved, but from this record, it has pressing on and it has covenant woman, which are two of my all time favorite songs of his. Right. Yeah. And I wouldn't put any song on slow, maybe precious angel, but I would, to me, it's like the, the average grade on any song on slow train coming is higher than save, but save has some like a pluses in my mind. Right. And there's something about, and so even a song that I haven't paid as much attention to like this one, it's got a sort of wonderfully reaffirming, positive upbeat feel to it than a lot of other the christian material doesn't so uh, but yeah i love the idea that it's you know i owe you some kind of apology it is it's kind of funny you know well and, and i think you know when you've when you've been beaten over the head by some of his sort of end time you know wrath of mm-hmm. god types of songs here's yeah. a song that's refreshing in that he's kind of taking a step back and saying all right i need to i need to know my place here um you know it's a sign of humility contrition I think confession, like you said, is a real good way to talk about what this song is accomplishing. So it kind of it, it's sort of a, a sobering song in that it kind of introduces a little bit of humility into his presentation. Absolutely. And then in the, the last verse, where he says, the wicked knows no peace and you just can't fake it. Again, a great line. There's only one road and it leads to and it leads to cavalry. I never knew what that meant. I never understood, you know, I didn't know what cavalry was. I mean, until BobDylan.com got put online, I didn't even know that that was the line. You know, I was just, oh, like, yeah. and then, then I had to look it up. Now, I, I, can you explain what it is? I looked it up, but I think you do a better job explaining to people well, what it, what it means. Cause cavalry is in capital C cavalry. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a proper name, a location. It's really the location where the crucifixion takes place. So a lot of times people in, in hymna, hymnography or uh, sermons, uh, preachers will just use the word Calvary um, for um, to talk about all that happened with respect to the cross of Jesus. Um, so it's kind of a shorthand reference that gets used um, to point you to the larger reality. So, yeah, but it, but it illustrates something. It's kind of an inside an insider's reference. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You, you got to kind of know the story, um, be kind of conversant with it. And, <clears throat> and if you're not, it's kind of a, you know, like you said, what, what, what does it mean? Yeah. And, uh, I never even know what it was for all the years I was yeah, yeah, just singing the, along the, to the song. I was like, uh, I don't yeah, know <laughs> the place of the cross. And um, so, yeah, it's, and that's, I think that that first line, I really have liked that. The wicked know no peace and you just can't fake it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then his solution is the only place you can go is to the cross of Jesus to find it. But then the next line, you know, when I hear this line, it gets discouraging at times, but I know I'll make it. I mean, I'm hearing at that point, I believe in you. Uh, I'm hearing that song kind of, this is a summary of that song. And, you know, it kind of makes me wonder as I look over the lyrics again, if, um, if you know, at times he's... Uh, he's consciously sort of pulling in themes from his other, other songs, not just the Bible, but, but his other songs to kind of be part of his um, prayer here, if you will. And, oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, yeah. good. I mean, in that press conference in the sixties where he said, uh, good luck, I hope you make it. That's how all yeah. my songs end. Exactly. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's right. <laughs> and that opening line, the wicked know no peace and you just can't fake it. I mean, that, I mean, I think we live, we all live with that every day of our lives. There are people that um, surround us uh, that are, I think, I'm not going to get specific, but we all know who we can, you know, we all have ideas who we're talking <laughs> about. But there are people out there who are, I think, profoundly miserable people. 
and they hide it by braggadocio and they hide it by being bullies and they hide it by attacking others. You know, they, 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 they punch down, they pick on any group that they feel like they can make miserable. And those people are awful and you wish they wouldn't do it. But at the same time, I'm like, yeah, but anyone that wastes their time on this is a profoundly miserable person. And that's why they're doing it. I think you're right. It's, um, you know, uh, you know, the wicked no, no peace, true, but um, many times neither do the righteous. And I think the thing that he kind of gives the solution is, yeah, it gets discouraging at times, but I know I'll make it, you know, so sometimes even the righteous don't know peace. Um, Mm -hmm. But there's Mm -hmm. something because of Calvary that gives him the assurance that he'll make it or the whole song. I believe in you, I think is. He gets he gets to that. It's really, you know, I mean, the song is I've listened to it several times, you know, kind of getting ready for tonight. And, you know, it's really a it's really a great uh, I'd kind of forgotten about it because I don't recall prior to uh, you saying, hey, let's do this song. Um, It had been a long time since I listened to this song. And um, because I've kind of uh, my preference right now for just going to Dylan and listening is probably time out of mind forward. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly because like I said, I'm, you know, I'm in my early sixties now. And I, I think I just relate to that stuff better. You know, in the early, early sixties, the so-called protest finger pointing period, you know, there's, there's probably not a real good likelihood that I'm going to pick up a sign and go protest somewhere. Um, <laughs> you know, that uh, just sounds tiring. You know? <laughs> and, and, um, so you find other ways to do it. But I think at some point, just as you age, you start realizing these things. I look at this song here and think of the interview he just gave uh, to Jeff Slade um, in the Wall Street Journal. And, you know, he's got the paragraph in there. Yeah, I believe in all that stuff, you know, like the saints and the candles and the prayers and, the, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I think, you know, I'm not a big I don't really like to get into the discussion. Is he or isn't he? you know, a Christian anymore. But I just think that as people go through life, um, you, you you just, life has a way of kind of introducing to you that the world isn't as simple as you once thought it was. And I think, you know, it would be interesting to me if, um, was it with Tempest he said that he wanted to do an album of religious songs, but it just didn't work out? Whatever Was it about that time period? I, that sounds about right, yeah. You know, and... Uh, you know, I, I enjoy, I like Tempest, um, but there's a part of me that would have wondered what would an album of religious songs have sounded like at that age? Yeah. You know, when he's 70, uh, close to 70, as opposed to, you know, back here around what, around 40? Yeah, he's, uh, yeah, 39 when he does, when he yeah. does this, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. so, I mean, it's, it's, it's got to change, um, you know, in... That would have just been an interesting exercise, I think. I would have liked to have heard what that would have sounded like. Um, but I think he's, you know, one of the things... Oh, <laughs> this is kind of fun, funny. I got approved to do a course, Bob Dylan and the Bible, next year. I think when you're looking at Dylan's use of the Bible, interestingly, I think his least creative use of the Bible is in these Christian records. Because it's just like all out there, no nuance, it's just mm-hmm. out there. Um, but I think, you know, we do see through a lot of his, his, uh, later music, more recent music, those themes are still there. They're just reflected on uh, in light of experience, um, in light of, you know, certain realities. He's, he probably has fewer years to live than he has already lived. So, you know, that's once you kind of hit that point where you're like, oh, gee, you know, in my case, I'm probably not going to live to be 122. Right, you know? yeah. I'm on the back nine here, yeah. <laughs> exactly. You know, <laughs> well, the clubhouse is in view. <laughs> so, so, let's see if we can slow this down a little bit. But yeah, I, I, I just, I've, I've really um, appreciated, you know, I, I think the Christian stuff, as we call it, in his career turned out to have played a very important role in his, um, life as a creative artist. Um, Absolutely. So we couldn't have known what it would have been without it. But I think, you know, once he kind of got his way through the 80s, I think think he found a place um, 
not only for these songs in his live performances, but but for the the substance of this period in his music as well as he's gone forward. And I, you know, so I I really appreciate it. I I remember when that uh, trouble uh, trouble no more um, box set came out with the movie mm-hmm. um, in there. I love that movie. I I think Michael Shannon's sermons are just theologically brilliant. Uh, those <laughs> scenes. I mean, I'm like, yes, this is this is what you're supposed to talk about in church. <laughs> you know, this is this is um, this is what should happen. Um, but I think that that movie and that box set really did a lot to kind of help us. Now that enough time has passed, say this was this was a good period. Uh, musically after all and, uh, yeah I mean, he follows his muse and people criticize it or love it or whatever at the time but then you look back and you say yeah but he had that's that's what he's been doing this whole time and it's paid off it's paid all these dividends and oh, even yeah. if you don't trust it in the time i look i mean you know i was kind of that way on the sinatra stuff i was like mm, okay you know and but now you know I'm like well but it was essential to his development right. to where he is now. So absolutely. Yeah. By, by the way, one, just before we, before we uh, wrap up the show and I ask the exit question of you, you mentioned the thing about his quote where he's like, I wanted to do an album of religious songs. Right. And then that kind of morphed into Tempest. Every time I hear him say that in an interview, I wanted to do X yeah. as a, as a incredibly <laughs> selfish Bob fan. I'm always like, go do that. <laughs> like, exactly. Yeah. Put the arc welder down and go, you know, go, and, you know, every time he's like, Oh, I want to do an album of these songs, then go do it. <laughs> those songs, no matter how much he gives us, I want more. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, that we have to learn to live and like, no, the man has a life and he should enjoy himself and do whatever he wants. But at the same time, I'm always, I always wince a little when I hear him say, Oh man, if I had, <laughs> If I had time, I'd record a whole album of nothing but Ralph Stanley songs. Then go record an album. Of Ralph- <laughs> I'm sure Columbia would book you a studio at a moment's notice. Get Jack Frost in there and do it. You know, go yeah, ahead, Bob. Go exactly. ahead and do it. So, um, yeah, well, that's uh, I think that's um, you know the Sinatra stuff. I bought the records. You know, I was a dutiful fan, and I bought them and yep, I listened to them. Okay. And I was kind of like, yeah, but. When you, I have always thought that when I heard those songs live, that just opened it up for me. It did. Me um, too. Me too. I just, uh, those were some of my favorite moments in those concerts. Me too. Um, me too. They were just, you know, he would, he would like do the crooner thing. Yes. Get out, grab the grab mic. The microphone and yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I just, I just thought those were spectacular live performances. I, I just ate that stuff up. And, yeah. He really um, put those across live. He really I, did. He really did. So it was good stuff. Absolutely. Well, Jeff, thank you for uh, coming on the show. Thank you for wanting to talk about this song. This is a kind of like a sleeper. You know, it this is, is one yeah. of those songs that I've always like, yeah, it's good, but you know, I move on to the next thing I love more. But then, you know, listening to the live versions and, and there's the, the more recent ones are on YouTube and then listening to the album track, I guess like, nah, this is really a terrific little song. And it, it's, it's, it's ambitions are humble. Compared to some of the other songs, which is probably why it doesn't get the kind of attention that some of the other ones do. And as I said, I think gratitude is is a hard thing to convey and, and leave sort of a real emotional mark. But he, but he does it. So this is just a, a great little song. And I'm glad that we finally got a chance to, to talk about it. So thank you. Oh, yes. My pleasure. I, uh, I, I When I was looking down the list, I, I pretty much figured no one's going to fight me over getting to do this song. <laughs> I don't think anyone has ever mentioned it. That, that's you. I, all of this is kept in my brain, which is not the best place for it because as I get older, <laughs> this brain becomes less and less reliable. But once in a while, someone will shoot me an email with a list of songs and there'll be one on there that I'm like, wow, no one's ever asked for that one. So let's do that one. And this was one of those cases where I was like, I don't think seven, seven Grace has ever been on a single list in the hundreds of lists that I've been sent. I don't think anyone's ever asked for that. So I, I hone in on that one. So uh, I'm really glad that we got a chance to talk about it. And like I said, I'm, I'm always happy to talk about something from saved because I think it's an underrated record. So, okay, Jeff, I got to ask you the exit question, which you know is okay. coming, which is if there's any recording session Bob's ever done in any format, but three time radio hour, the the palms book audio book a record anything what that you could sit in on what would it be um you know i, I first was going to go with the 
uh, the philosophy of modern song. I, I, I read the book and then I got it on audible so I could hear all the different people mm-hmm. do the readings and hear him do some of the readings. And, and that was, that was pretty, I, I enjoyed that experience. Um, but I would say one of these, I, I, I would have really liked to have been in the room when he did every grain of sand and the dog barks. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I would have just loved to, what kind of recording studio, what kind of recording session are you doing where you're doing clearly one of his five best songs ever, probably mm-hmm. every grain of sand. And here's this dog in the background and they just keep going. <laughs> I, just, I, just, I love that so much. I think I love it. I like that more. Well, no, I don't, but I really wish he'd have had the dog, you know, on tour with him. <laughs> but, but uh, th- that one would have been the other one or, a couple of theme time radio hour. I, I, I love that series so much. Um, just his knowledge of music is, and, and the collection that he puts together is, is, it was always a wonderful thing, but I loved his uh, episode on baseball. Oh yeah. That, and I would have liked to have been there yeah. to watch that happen. But I also would have liked, you know, this disclaimer here for anybody at my, among my employers, who might be listening here? I I do not endorse drinking whiskey because you know we don't do that at our school. But I, the fact that he, after years after that series was over, he came back and did an episode on whiskey in music mm-hmm. after the launch of his his uh, whiskey line. I think that indicates to me he probably was having some real fun. Because he, he didn't have to do the show anymore. Uh, he's got this new line of whiskey. So he's like, hey, let's do a theme time radio hour <laughs> type of thing years after it closed. And, and I think that might have been an interesting thing to sit on. Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, just as a side note on the theme time radio hours, I'm guessing the rights, the music rights would be so ungainly that it just isn't worth doing. But those really should be collected in some format that's easier to access. Yeah. Than where they are, you know. I mean, if you have XM, you can get them, and and uh, I think some of them even. But like, there should be a bootleg series, you know, of the Uh-oh. theme time radio hours. There are yeah. somewhere they should, you know, are where somewhere where you could pay for them, get them above board. But they they right. should be they should be uh, easier to get than than they are because I have found that even people who don't really even like Bob all that much. Love those because he's like the coolest music professor you're ever going to have. You know, exactly. he plays interesting yeah. stuff. So, I mean, that's that's a music music. Well, it's a in many ways, it's a history education too. Yeah, uh, just a music history education. Yeah. but it was a uh, that was good stuff. I but those two episodes, I think, are probably my favorites because um, he just seemed to be having a really good time with those topics. So completely. Oh yeah, he's got that. Robert Gunn. You can hear you can. You can you can hear the glint in his eye as he's recording yeah. those. He's having so much fun. So that that's a great answer. So, well, Jeff, again, thank you so much for doing this. And before we sign off, why don't you tell people where they can find you out on the internet? Yeah, I, I um after my first traumatic experience with Twitter, where I canceled <laughs> my account many years ago. Um, here a few months ago, I, I got a new um, Twitter account. And my good timing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean it's 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 um um. I, I, but I only listen to or only pay attention to people who are like in the Dylan community. Uh, I'm not going to do the politics thing. So smart, very smart. Um, but my whatever you call it, what is it? Is it a handle? Your that's handle, that, yeah. At yes, yeah. At um, free running dog. That's what it is. Okay. And um, free running dog, everybody. You've heard it. Yeah. So um, I I actually kind of like when dogs run free. That's a song. <laughs> so I kind of. Took it from that. That's that's where I'm. I don't really do much on Facebook except wish people happy birthday. <laughs> Nothing and, wrong with that at all. <laughs> well, and, but there is one thing, you know, the world of Bob Dylan stuff. That seems to be like the only place that people. There's a group that you can belong to if you've pr- presented papers and stuff there, and um, it seems to be like the the first place you get information in that circle. So I sign on every morning, see if anything's posted on there. Wish people happy birthday, and then. Get about my business. But yeah, free running dog. I'm going to start posting now that I feel a little more comfortable with Twitter. So. Excellent. Well, now I just, I just followed you. So now you've got one follower. 
Yay! Which is, which is me. So there you there go. You go. <laughs> okay. Excellent. Excellent. You're off now. So, uh, well, again, uh, Jeff, <laughs> thank you so much for doing this. And thank you all for listening. Speaking of Twitter, of course, you can find the show on Twitter at pod underscore Dylan. And you can find all the back episodes of this show on our website, fmpods.com. Uh, in case you have not yet subscribed to Pod Dylan Plus, I implore you to do so. You get all sorts of uh, bonus content and other fun things that I have planned. So, and uh, it's a great way to support the show and make sure that it uh, will keep going forever and ever and ever. So go to fmpods.com and uh, sign up to subscribe to the show over there. I really would appreciate it. So um, that's going to do it. Thanks everybody for listening and we will see you later. Bye. False apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works.